Today we're going to be dealing with the subject, all out change. All out change. So you can't have all out change until you have all out change. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, in verse 43, the beginning phrase of that verse says, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. There was something that was lodged in the spirit of these early believers that gripped their souls about the present move they were in, and everyone could feel it. And you had to be amazed because of the scope of it. Everyone from the youngest to the oldest was impacted by the presence of awe. They kept feeling awe. Now we got to stop and ask the question, what is awe in that context? We could say it's a reverential response to the sovereignty and majesty of God. That's good. But see, that word awe is the Greek word phobos, from which we get our English word phobia. It means flight or to cause someone to run in fear or terror or dread. And so everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Something was happening that was awesome and frightening. And they realized they were in a divine moment. They were in the move, the stream of the move of God. Isn't that great? To be in the stream of the move of God. But you know, where there's a stream, there are currents. And sometimes the currents can take you places you don't want to go. And they found themselves in the midst of this move of God, the stream of the move, but the currents can take you places that can be uncomfortable, that can be challenging, that can take you places that you didn't expect. And they would find themselves in the midst of such a move. It was God was doing something great and powerful in this moment. It's interesting, there was a young man sitting in an audience one day. He was listening to a man who was described as the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon. And he was sitting there, and although he was the son of a preacher, it would be in that setting that he would respond and give his life to Christ. His name is Oswald Chambers. And although he would become an outstanding preacher in his own right, it would be after his death that his wife would compile his sermon notes and write a daily devotional. That's still in print today. And it would be in this August entry of that book that he says something. Listen to this. He says, we are not taken up into a conscious agreement with God's purpose. We are taken up into God's purpose without any consciousness at all. We have no conception of what God is aiming at. And we go on, we go, we go on it Oh, I'm sorry. And we go on and it gets more and more vague. God's aim looks like missing the mark because we are too short sighted to see what he's aiming at. See, (laughs) you are here today because you acknowledge that one point in your life, you were lost. You need to be found. You were bound. You need to be rescued. You needed a savior. That savior is Jesus. And yet, I could not access his ability to save me until I acknowledge something. What gives him the ability to be savior is the fact that he is Lord. 
And so I had to ask the Lord Jesus to come into my life to save me. And so I get saved, but one thing I didn't know was the scope and the full scope of his lordship and how that would radically touch every aspect of my life. Not just eternity, but right now, if he's Lord, he's going to be Lord of everything. And, you know, the thing about being Lord is that he does not share lordship. There is no equality, co-equality of lordship with him. He is Lord and we are servant. And so we find ourselves many times in that, in that time, we come to a place where God brings us. God adjusts us. God gets us in the stream of his move. And we can find ourselves in those moments getting close to the jagged edges. We can find our pl- ourselves at the deep points of the stream like we're going to drown. And then we have to ask, it looks like God is missing the mark. He doesn't know what he's doing, where he's taking us. This is dangerous. Now understand something. It's not that God doesn't know what he's doing. We're just too short-sighted to see what he's doing. See, the thing about being in the stream of the move of God and the currents taking you wherever God wants to take you, it implies something, giving up control. And the idea of giving up control is frightening for many of us to give up control. There are probably some husbands and wives who drove separately to come here today because they wanted to maintain control. And it's something about having control that we don't want to give it up. But see, once we step into the stream and we acknowledge that he is Lord, it's acknowledgement that he's in charge. And even when I get to the dangerous points in the stream or feel like I'm, I'm going to go under, if he's in charge, all I need to do is be still and know that he is God. The cross reference in the New American Standard says, relax, let go and know that he is God. And so we find these early believers at this moment, at this season in their life. And we got to ask, how did they come to the season? What brought them to this place? This brings us to the issue of the entrance of grace. Look at that verse in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. It says, so then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So Those who received his word, Peter was preaching the gospel. He was calling men to obedience and compliance and repentance and to be baptized. And in that setting, we would discover there would be those who would receive the word, receive what he said, and ultimately they yielded themselves to the Lord of the stream. And they jumped into the stream. New Testament salvation. They got saved. And they jumped in, and it says that, and they were baptized. Baptizo. It means to immerse, to be baptized, not to be sprinkled, but to be immersed in the water because there's a tremendous symbolism that is, that is resonant in baptism. There's a statement is being made that somebody has just died and now they're experiencing resurrection. 
So if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. New things have come. Buried with him in baptism. Raised with him in newness of life. It is also a statement. I am dying to my independence and self-sufficiency. And I'm being raised in dependency and trust in God. And so here these early believers would be at that place and they would come to acknowledge their need for God, their place, their, their recognition of God. And they would be baptized and so they would yield to the Lord of the stream and then they would get into the natural stream which affirms their place in the spiritual stream. And then it says they were added to the church 3,000 souls. 3,000 in one day. Can you imagine that? Just like that. Added to their numbers. Added to the church. That brings us to the issue of church growth. Because when we think about church growth, we think about people being added, numbers, attendance. But let's, let's stop for a moment and say, how does the head of the church, Christ, how does he define church growth? He doesn't define it by attendance. He defines it by maturity. He defines it not that you simply show up, but that you grow up, growing up into the head. And so it's important then we see something because I want you to understand something. If you grow up, you will show up. We can expect to see you if you're growing up. But the foundation of it is that we're maturing in him. Now, it says of these early believers that they had come, they had been immersed, they had, they had given themselves, their entrance of awe was in their life. But how did they maintain it? Because it says everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. How many know feelings fluctuate? Feelings can come this way and go that way. Feelings can change from week to week. Feelings can change from day to day. Feelings can change within the context of a day. You may feel different by the end of this message. <laughs> feelings go up and down. But it says everyone kept feeling. There was a consistency in how they felt. They kept feeling a sense of awe. And we would see that there were things in place that nurtured the presence of awe as they cultivated the presence of awe. It says in this next verse, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There were four elements that were key to their ability to maintain awe and what in essence constituted the New Testament church. They gave themselves, they devoted themselves, number one, to the presence of truth. Truth. They came under the influence and the authority of apostolic teaching. They let those who were spiritual leaders guide them and help them to get where they needed to go to begin to respond to the truth. For let me stop right here and just tell you, you are a blessed people because you're under godly leadership and you get the truth of God here with integrity and consistency. And so it's important to be rightly connected to spiritual leadership, godly leadership that can stand with you and guide you and protect you in the things of God. And it's, that's the foundation we see in the beginning for them to nurture the presence of awe. Number two, 
was they devoted themselves to the presence of people. People. We need people to help us get where we need to go. Stop all your shouting. God uses people to help us mature. He uses people to help nurture all in us. Iron sharpens iron. One brother sharpens another. The word that's used here is koinonia, fellowship. It's to share in common. How many know you can have fellowship anywhere? Fellowship in the bar. Fellowship in the club. Fellowship wherever. See, it's to share in common. But what was indeed important to them, the commonality of their bond was the centrality of Christ. He was central, and they built their relationships around him, and they had relationships that were Christ-centered. And see, we need to have people in our life, people in our life, godly people who will walk with us, stand with us, help us to get where we need to go, that people we can trust and people we can and begin to be open with. You know, it says in the Bible, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You have somebody you can begin to share your life, your testimony, what God is doing in your life and receive it back and begin to walk. That is so essential to maintaining and nurturing the presence of all. What kind of people do you have in your life? What's your fellowship base? Because in essence, you are what you fellowship with. You fellowship with complainers, you're going to complain. You fellowship with grumblers, you're going to grumble. Yep, you fellowship with those who are discontented, you'll be discontented. You need to have godly people, righteous people in your life who are indeed there to help you, stand with you. They cultivate it with the presence of people. Thirdly, they cultivate it with the presence of grace for the breaking of bread. This is key because it would say later in the chapter that they shared their meals together. Then it goes on to say they broke bread, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It's something about coming and partaking of the Lord's Supper and remembering what he's done for us. If you ever have a hard day, if you ever face a challenge, just stop and think about what Christ did for you. The grace of God he gave you, how he manifested his love for you. Grace stepped in. And regardless of where we were and all the stuff that we were involved in, grace came. And with grace came, but God. See, wherever we were, but God. God changed it. God turned it around. God revealed himself in the face of all the mess and the craziness. God stepped in. That's grace. And we remember that as we partake of the Lord's Supper. And I, I love it because, see, the Lord's Supper is not a dry, drab memorial meal. Because, see, he lives. He's alive and well. And yet, he's given us the will. And the will can be accessed now. This is the will of God. And in the will, we have access to the inheritance that we can begin to implement right here, right now. So we think about it. They nurtured, their, they nurtured the sense of awe as they looked at the presence of grace, as they gave themselves to the presence of grace. Fourthly, they devoted themselves to the presence of God in prayer. They sought the face of God. They cried out to God. They, they went before God, and they, they, they were seeking him and pursuing him in prayer. See, understand, prayerlessness is a statement that you're more impressed with you than you are with God. It's to say this, God, I don't need to talk to you. I got this together. I don't need to convey anything. I got this. 
But see, when we come before God in prayer, it's an affirmation. God, I need you. See, I would even liken prayer as an expression of worship. It is saying to God, no one else is worthy but you to receive my heart cry, to receive my petitions. God, I come before you. So they gave themselves to the presence of God in prayer. So they had these elements where they were nurturing and they were able to stay consistent and everybody kept feeling a sense of awe. Then it brings to the issue of the environment, the environment of awe. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, it says. And many wonders and signs occurred or took place through the apostles. Wow. Now, that's how it reads. Let me tell you how we hear that sometimes. And many wonders and signs took place through the apostles, and everybody kept feeling a sense of awe. In other words, God, you show up and you do something. You reveal yourself, and then we will feel awe. Then we'll respond to you. Then we'll be awed by you. No, what he's saying here is that when awe is in place, it sets the environment. It sets the stage for the supernatural. If we can come into this place in awe, I said, if we can come into this place in awe, imagine next week. Everybody came in here with a sense of awe. You wouldn't need the worship team to do something to take you somewhere. Thank God for the worship team, and they're great. But you would already be in a place of awe. You wouldn't need an exhortation. You wouldn't need, right? You would be ready because in awe, when, when we as an assembly can come together in awe, the atmosphere is pregnant for the supernatural to be revealed. And things can happen in an environment of awe. Things can happen that may take you three and four weeks or months in therapy to happen can happen. Strongholds can be removed. Chains can be broken in the atmosphere of awe. It was awe first and then became the supernatural. Then was the supernatural release after they indeed found themselves cloaked in awe cloaked in awe. And so they, they gave themselves to an environment. How many know an environment is so important? An environment is so important. There may be some husbands and wives here today who have gotten in the car and they were riding along and everything was great. And they just had a good time talking and somebody said the wrong thing. Most likely one of the male, you know, gender said something wrong. And it changed the environment, the atmosphere of the car. In, in other words, the car got small. Because <laughs> the atmosphere changed. And see, if we can change how we feel based and set it on truth, we can begin to change the atmosphere, we can change the environment. We can change it in our households. We can change it in the marketplace. We can change it as we corporately gather. If we make a decision to submit how we feel to truth and yield ourselves to God, God can begin to accomplish something because we are released. 
Many times we're expecting God to show up and do something, and he's expecting us to show up and do something. Show up and be yielded. Show up and be ready. Show up and be broken before me so I can establish something fresh, so I can release. And I've discovered something, that my, my posture of being yielded, my posture of being in awe is not just for me. That sometimes if I'm yielded, if I'm in awe, it could release somebody else. Hallelujah. You may not know how, what kind of impact you can have just sitting next to somebody if you're in awe. How it can begin to change the atmosphere. How it can begin to see. I've, I've been in church a while. I've seen people in certain pocket groups. And you can see a certain pocket group of people and everybody just with their hands down. Nobody's singing. Nobody's doing anything. Because that's just the atmosphere, that pocket group. And you see another group. Everybody's lifting their hands. What happened? The atmosphere. See, it's the attitude of awe. For if we can set that in place, if we can come in next week, I believe we set the environment for God to do something. Ask somebody, will you do that next week? Will you do that? Will you, will you, will you do that? That you come into the setting so ready. That's why I believe there are times that we see more of the miraculous happening in other countries than we do in our own country. Because they come to meetings, and they come gathering with an expectation because they're already in awe. And they see the supernatural. And we come many times, it's like, God, prove yourself, and then we'll be in awe. But if we can come to that place, then understand God can do something. And I know there are times... There are times there's a big challenge for pastors because sometimes pastors try to get people to arise to levels of service and commitment in the church and faithfulness to the things of God and to the mission of the house. There are times they try to get people to be faithful and trusting God and honoring God with the resources he's giving them. And yet, we tend to make excuses. Well, I don't have time to serve. I got so many other things. I got this to do and that. I don't have time to serve in the house of God. I don't, have, I don't have the resource base to really be faithful to God financially. I just can't work it out. Let me tell you something. The issue is not the absence of time. It's the absence of awe. The issue is not the absence of resources. It's the absence of awe. Because you will honor that which you fear. Think about losing your house, you will find some money. Think about losing your car. You'll find some resources to get it done. It's about, but God, he's great and greatly to be appraised above everything else. All my awe should be directed toward him. And if I can be in the stream of what he's saying and what he's doing, then God can begin to turn some things around. Coming to a place of absolute dependency. Coming to a place of letting him take me Places I want to go, and sometimes places I don't want to go. But he's in charge, and he never takes us to the wrong place. I may not see it in the moment, but he's taken me. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, we think about the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, no, it doesn't, it doesn't say, even as I go through, don't stop. Let him take you where he wants to take you. 
and his divine appointment for your life. God has incredible things. You've seen wonderful things happen in this church, but the best is yet to come. But you have to cultivate, live in a place of awe. It's an acknowledgement. Only God can do it. We can serve, we can bless, we can give ourselves, we can work hard. But see, unless the Lord guards the city, we labor in vain. He must be the central focus, and we need to honor him. I'm going to encourage you to come to the house in awe. I'm going to encourage you to get here for worship on time and engage God and have an expectancy that God can do it. Tell somebody, God can do it. Come on, stand with me. Hallelujah. Would you do something? Would you just lift your hands? It's a posture of surrender. It's like you're being held up. Lift your hands. They'll make sure that you don't make any sudden moves. In other words, you are giving up control. Isn't it interesting that lifting of our hands are also an expression of worship? I am not in control. You are. I can't do this. I need you. When I see my granddaughter and she comes up to me and she lifts her hands, Papa, so I can pick her up. And I can take her from her present level and lift her up to my face. And we can be face to face. And she will sometimes give Papa a kiss. And worship is described as a kiss. See, you've got to be raised up. You've got to give up all control. Because that affects your worship. That affects your identity. That affects all that you do and all that you give yourself to. You need to say, I give up all control. Can you take a moment to just say, Lord, I give up all control to you. You are in charge of every affair of my life. Wherever you take me, I'm going to continue to trust you. I'm going to believe you today. I'm going to believe you this week. I'm going to believe you for the rest of my life. I need you for everything. And even when I'm scared <laughs> and I can't see what you're going to do next, I'm going to accept that your ways are always right. So even this week, I'm going to cultivate awe so I can be a greater blessing to the house and to this body and to the saints of God. In Jesus' name, amen.